We're going to get right into the message. I've been gone uh, this past week. I was in North Carolina for um, uh, for a few days. Somebody asked me, well, was it, were you helping flood victims? And, and I wish I could have said yes, uh, but no, I was actually there for some training, and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a, at the end of my message. But uh, we're, we're in this three-week, or, or we're in week three of this four-week series uh, called Bless This Home. And we decided to take a look at the teachings of Jesus, the, the Beatitudes, right, that are from Matthew chapter 5, and take a look at how those might help, our, help us in our homes, right? We recognize that Jesus is teaching everybody. He's teaching the masses. He, as we read it in Scripture, the, the Beatitudes are for everyone. But we wanted to take a look and say, how could we apply the Beatitudes to our home in order for us to receive blessings in our home? Because honestly, as we, as we look at homes today, as we look at families today, it, just, it, se- it doesn't seem like we would label them as blessed, right? It just seems that there's strife and there's struggle and, and busyness and, and everybody's, I don't know, tense. And it just, every, it just doesn't seem like we, we wouldn't say, man, that, that is a blessed home. All right, so the first week we looked at uh, the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Last week we looked at the powerful words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Next week uh, is uh, my personal favorite of the four uh, messages for families, is blessed are those who, per- who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And next week we're actually going to have a, a panel I don't know that we've ever done that before, where we're going to have a panel of couples who are talking about family, and they're at different stages of their family life, as well as uh, different circumstances. We'll have a blended family as well. And so uh, we're going to have the opportunity to ask them questions about how they navigate family life in the midst of this culture that we live in, uh, as well as you're going to have the opportunity to Text in your questions. Uh, they will be filtered, so just know before you get any crazy ideas. Uh, I will be reading your questions before, they, before they're given. So I'm not talking to everybody, just about two people. So <laughs> today what I want to do is I want to talk about two things that I, I actually think are, are pretty related. I want to talk about peace in the home. And I want to talk about a home that is full of mercy. Because honestly, so many of our homes really aren't characterized as homes of peace and mercy. Instead, if you look at our homes, you'd have, you'd have to say that, that they're characterized by conflict, by tension, by yelling and anger and strife. Right? And I, I just... I'm under the impression that God has a better way for us, that he wants our homes to be characterized as these homes that other people look at and say, that's a peaceful home. That's a home that that exudes compassion and mercy in it. Now, I don't know what your strife and tension and anger and all of that, what the cause of that is. I know what it is in our, in our own home. I know where things escalate and, and, and all of a sudden thing, there's, there's conflict that arises. But whatever your circumstance, maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're trying to raise your, your children. You've got little children now, but now you've got a mother-in-law who's trying to tell you how to raise your children. And 
uh, and that's causing strife, right? I mean, it's causing strife between you and your spouse and certainly between your in-laws and, and you're like, just can you back off? I've got this. I'll figure it out, right? Maybe, maybe you're, it's your own kids. Maybe they fight all the time, right? You find yourself saying things that you never thought you would ever say. Uh, last week, we, uh, I, I talked about my mom saying the, the phrase, uh, just because all your friends jump off a cliff doesn't mean you should, right? And, and somebody came up to me in between service and said, I just said that to my kids, like last week, right? It, it, we find ourselves saying things that we never thought we would say. We heard them as kids, but we thought, oh, we'll never say that. Things like, do I need to pull the car over, Right? Uh, you don't make me count to three. And then you count to three and nothing happens, right? It's just like, but if I get to five, your life is going to be over. And then nothing happens. And you end up at like 40. You get to 40 and you're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go take a bath and my kids are just going to continue to fight. Maybe you're the kid. Maybe you're a teenager and you think, my parents will never trust me again, right? They're always breathing down my throat. They're so controlling. You might be in a blended home, right? And you're trying to, to raise your kids and her kids and our kids, and there's exes involved, and it's, it's so incredibly complicated. So how? How is it possible for us to have peace with all of these moving parts, some of you might be at a place where you, to this day, have not forgiven your mom or your dad for something that happened years and years ago. Or you continue to, to live with a spouse who you haven't shown mercy towards. See, today we're going we're gonna to look at two of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Let's take a look at what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. There's two words from the original biblical language that's translated as peace. And uh, one of the New Testament words, the Greek word, is the Greek uh, irene. Uh, in the New Testament, the other word is shalom. And for years, the word shalom has been a well-known greeting, like shalom, when you're greeting somebody and when you're leaving, shalom, when you're leaving them. Uh, the original words for peace mean a little bit more than what we think that they mean in our English language. The word peace, the word shalom, it means more than, than just the absence of bad in your life. Like, I, 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 uh, shalom, I wish that you don't have hard times. It also means that I wish you the highest good. And so when Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, I hope the best for your life. I want your home to be the best. Not just strife-free. I want the best for you. I want the highest good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And when Jesus said this, just like the other seven Beatitudes, everybody listening to these would have been completely dumbfounded. 
They would have been shocked. They, this would not have made sense to them because they, this was so countercultural. They're coming from a culture that isn't like, hey, let's just have peace towards one another. No, they're coming from a culture that says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If somebody wrongs you, you wrong them. Somebody steals from you, you take from them. Right? And he, he was saying something that was so very shocking. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying there is a higher calling if you want to be a Christ follower. Now, if you'll notice, he, he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Right? Peacekeepers is something all, uh, altogether different. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict. They don't go through it. But peacekeepers will they'll work around the issues, not through the issues. And so they kind of get to this place where it's like they, they just decide to have a truce. Uh, maybe you've experienced this in some of your relationships. Maybe you're, you're in your marriage, whatever. That, that you get to a place where, where the, instead of peacemaking, you're just kind of keeping the peace. You're just giving a truce. You're just saying, whatever, it's not worth it anymore. I'm just going to go around it or or whatever. And then what happens is you find that one or both of the parties ends up kind of stuffing the conflict. And they push it and they push it and they push it. And eventually, all you have to do is look the wrong way. And all of a sudden, there's this massive explosion of you never do this and you never do that. And you're always this and you're always that. Right? And it's like, where did this come from? It came from just trying to keep the peace and not actually making peace. Peacekeepers always avoid conflict to keep the peace. This is the key idea for the series. The, the idea is that we aren't just Christian homes. We are to be Christ-centered homes. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, the difference in that is that it's not that, that we're just Christians, that we are Christ followers, that, that we live in a country where 80% of the people say, oh yeah, we're a Christian family, we're, we, we're Christian, right? But, but if I think if you look on social media, you recognize, I, I don't know math, but that can't be 80%. Right? That something's not adding up. See, a Christ-centered home is a home that's fully devoted, following and serving and knowing and bringing Christ's glory. So, so if we're, we're going to be a Christ-centered home and we're going to be peacemakers, we should probably know what peacemakers do. What do they do? Let me, let me give you just three things that you can jot down. This is kind of a, a tale of of two messages, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie them together here in a second. The, the, the three things that peacemakers do, I'm sure there's other things, but these are the three things I think are important today. The first thing is this, is that they tell the truth in love. Right? They, they, they tell the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Because we are a Christ-centered home, we choose to speak the truth in love. Notice it doesn't say we yell the truth in love. Right? 
You always leave your clothes on the floor right in that spot. It may be a true statement, but it's not in love. It's not in love. It's yelling. It's screaming. We speak the truth in love. We navigate those conversations in a way that's like, I love you, but I need you to hear the truth of this. I love you, but you need to know that when you leave your your clothes there every single day, son, father, daughter, wife, whoever it is, this is how it makes me feel like you disrespect me. We speak the truth in love. The second thing is that peacemakers always apologize when they're wrong. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you might be healed. Think about this for a moment. What do you think your relationships would be like if when you sinned, you confessed it? What would it sound like if if when you flew off the handle and got angry at your spouse and you recognized, man, that is so wrong, you went to them and said, I am so sorry. How would that affect the relationship? How would that affect your home? What I did was wrong. I, I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? And then, what? what? What if then you prayed with them? Could you imagine how incredibly different our relationships would be if we owned our sins, if we confessed them, if we prayed together? See, peacemakers always apologize when they're wrong. Here's a, here's a challenging one as a, as a parent, as a father. This is challenging. I find it easier that I can apologize to, to my wife, uh, but, but when was the last time we apologized to our children? See, it's, it's a little bit harder because we're supposed to be right in everything, right? I mean, we're, we're supposed to have this thing all figured out. We're supposed to be the godly ones, and, and, and yet there are those moments where we fly off the handle towards our children. We yell at our children. We, we disrespect our children. We talk poorly, or we disrespect our spouse in front of our children. And what would it look like if we actually sat down with our children and apologized to them and said, I was wrong? This is, this is not how you treat your spouse. This is not how you treat your children. This is like using it as this learning opportunity of what it is to be a peacemaker in the home. Number three, what do peacemakers do? Peacemakers forgive and let go. This will be the hardest one for, for many of you. See, forgiveness is tough. And I just kind of want to walk into this a little gently for a moment because I know that there are a lot of people in our church, in a congregation this size that are part of our family, that you're just in tremendous amount of pain. I get that. We see it on the prayer request. We get it. Some of you, the thought of forgiveness, like immediately, like, like people or, or circumstances come to mind and you're like, I, I just, you know what, Ryan, you have your nice little pastor life and, and pastor problems, uh, but, but you don't know my problems. And although I don't, I don't know your problems, I do know what it is 
to, to go through betrayal. I knew what it is to, I know what it is to deal with sin issues. I do, I do know, I, I don't know all of the pain that is caused to you, but I, I do have my own circumstances of situation and pain. And, and I would just say it's, it's not easy. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that, that forgiveness and letting go is easy. It's, it's not. I know that some of you have, you've got a spouse who's betrayed you. And you think, how, how, how can I forgive them? You, you've got a, a, a father or a mother. You have someone in your life who, who you trusted with everything. And you, you trusted everything in and, and they lied and they, they deceived you and you, they left you in a really, really hard place. It's very difficult to forgive. There's... Some of you, many of you, probably who have someone in your family who should have protected you. Instead, they took advantage of you and abused you. And you say, how in the world do I forgive that? I don't even know if I want to forgive that. Like, how? How do you forgive? I just would say, I'm not telling you it's easy, but I will tell you it's doable. And here's the thing is, it's incredibly important to a Christ-centered home. Because without forgiveness, without the ability to let go, there will be no peace in your home. The Bible tells us how to do it. It's, it's It's one of those scriptures that's easier said than done. Colossians 3.13, Paul said, To bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone... Now, how do we forgive that, that which seems unforgivable? This is what Paul says. He says, do it this way. We forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how do we forgive? How do we forgive in those horrible circumstances, horrible situations? Paul's response is we forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so the question then, then comes up, well, well, has the Lord forgiven you? Has he forgiven you of sins? Has he, has he forgiven you of, of wrong, wrongs towards him from you? I don't know about you, but in my, in my own life, I think of my life and my pride and, and, and my arrogance and the spiritualism and, and the religiousness and all of that stuff that was kind of in my life, in my, in my high school and college years and stuff. And I just think, God, you've, you've, you've so forgiven me I think of a, a, of a sin issue in my life when, when I was in high school, and, and he's just there's been such grace and mercy in my life. And the response is, is because he has forgiven us, we then can forgive others. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We forgive as we've been forgiven. That's what Christ-centered homes do. Which leads us to the second teaching that we're talking about this morning of Jesus. We, we show mercy as we've been shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And while we're at it, if we're followers of Jesus, it's, it's not just, family isn't just blood, it's, 
It's our faith community. It's, it's the people sitting in this room. It's, it's the people in first service. It's, it's, it's the people that we serve alongside of. It's the, our coworkers. It's, it's these, these people that are in our life that we have the opportunity to forgive. And when we act like Christ, and when we forgive, and when we act like Christ, and we begin to show mercy, when we act like him and we, we make peace, the promise is that we'll be called children of God. So it begs to double-click on that or, or to kind of click deeper in that. It's like, well, does that mean then that if we don't do those things, could we actually be called children of God? I want to I talk about this idea of mercy for a second. Because whether we realize it at first glance, it's, it's really the remedy. It is the cure for all bitterness. Whether it's in your family, whether it's in your community, whether it's in your own heart or your own mind, it is the cure for bitterness in your life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The definition of mercy, one of the definitions of mercy is forgiving. It's forbearing. Its meaning, its meaning is to spare or, or to pardon someone. What would it look like if in our homes we began to be a people who pardoned one another? Who, who spared one another? Who was forgiving of one another? My guess is that if we allow mercy into our lives, all of a sudden we start seeing our homes become more peaceful. So mercy means to forgive. But in the first sense, in the, in the primary sense, mercy actually means compassion. I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to talk about what would it look like if our homes that in our homes, if we became known as compassionate. I have to stress this in, in the strongest of ways because um, I am so guilty of what I'm about to share with you. Mercy is not feeling compassionate. I can feel compassionate, but... That really, that I could call that feeling of compassion, of being compassionate, the barrier of all Christ-like intentions. What I, what I mean by that is that, that this, as, as something that I fight every single day, and if we're being honest, I think we probably all do to some extent, but that it's not just a I ought to do. Like, like if I feel compassion towards a circumstance or a situation, oftentimes it doesn't ever move me to do anything. What I talk about with people, what I think about, what I read about, what I preach about. But no matter how much energy I think I can muster up within myself, I can't bring myself to actually do anything. See, compassion is, is not feeling compassionate. It's more than a feeling. I think there's a song about that. It's an active verb, actually. 
It's, it's something that is shown. It's something that must be done. Someone that is compassionate would be an example of, uh, of the Good Samaritan, the man who, who comes along, the man who's beaten up on the side of the road, and take, he does something. He, 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 he doesn't just feel compassion. He doesn't think, oh, man, that's a bad day for that guy. Man, I, I'm really glad I'm not that guy. No, he actually, compassion, mercy is, is actually doing something and getting alongside and costing him time and costing him money. Compassion is, is Jesus when, he, when, when the adulterous woman comes and the, and the Pharisees throw her naked at his feet and he draws a line in the sand and he has this conversation. He does something that shows her compassion. Compassion is action. And I wonder what it would look like if our families actually had the action of compassion in it. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I've been reminded of this lately as we get busy with our lives. How many, how many just would say, man, School started. I thought we were going to get in a routine, but it's just busier than busy. Anybody just like, all right, we, okay, I'm the only one. Man, all right, I got some time management things to work out, but this, uh, my son got his driver's license on Wednesday. Uh, this is kind of a, you can cheer, it's okay. I mean, we, we, I know I don't cheer for your kid when he gets his driver's license, but, um, Here's the thing is, uh, it's double-edged sword, right? I mean, as parents, your kid gets a driver's license. Uh, it's, it's good on the hand that now they can run errands and do things that you don't want to do. And, uh, and on the other hand, uh, your wife is now sleeplessly looking at her Find My Phone app, watching as he, he drives <laughs> everywhere he goes. And my insurance went up by $200, so a month. Um, so it's, it's, it's bittersweet, right? If, if you've got a kid that's about to get their driver's license and you don't have the money, I'd say don't do it. Um, but um, we just find ourselves super busy this week where our car, we can put more miles on our car this week, I think, than we have all month. It's just going and this and that and and there and, and they, they had to go to Bernie for the driver's license test because it's easier or something and so I'm like I don't know if I want him to pass the easier test like <laughs> like there's two, I think everybody in San Antonio probably went to Bernie to get their driver's license <laughs> come on that was funny it wasn't even in my notes Every now and then, squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> so he's just been busy with this life. And, and I, was, I was reminded of, uh, so here, here's what happens. So we've been busy. Uh, what I'm about to share with you is really about uh, what we as a church, as, as Christ followers are called to. 
that I couldn't talk about the family. I couldn't talk about blessing our home. I couldn't talk about uh, having peace in the home and, and, and striving for righteousness and all these things, uh, a pure home, if we, we didn't ever talk about what I'm about to share with you. Does that set up some anticipation? It's from James chapter 1, verse 27. You've probably heard it before. And you, and you probably, like myself, have, have heard it, read it, and said, yeah, yeah, of course, we're all like that. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Right? The religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. The, the, if you're a Christ follower, if you want to say, yeah, like we are moving towards purity as a Christ-centered home. If, if that's the case, this is what it says. This is what that is. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I don't know about you, but I don't have time for that. Right? I mean, I, I read this and I, th- I think in, in my head, yeah, of course, that's why I'm a pastor of a church. And then I look around, I'm like, well, I'm not doing this. I don't, I don't visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I don't, I don't go out of my way to, to, to seek out circumstances and situations in which I get to actually experience what it is to be a pure Christ follower. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, which implies that it just doesn't come naturally. Learn to do good. Seek justice and correct oppression. And it says, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Seeking justice indicates that there actually might be injustices that no one knows about. That maybe there's circumstances and situations that we're just unaware of. And so I want to talk to you about a couple of those. As of April of this year, in 2018, there were 874 children in Bear County waiting to be adopted. We have a foster care challenge in our county, and if we're going to be Christ followers, we probably should not just have compassion in our thoughts about it, but actually move in compassion. What if our families began to walk out mercy, not just towards each other in the home? But we began to walk out mercy to the fatherless. Psalm 82, 3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the, and the destitute. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking, because I've, I've already thought it. I don't think we're that un- different. I, I think that we probably think very similar things. I, I don't want to foster a kid. I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to adopt a child. And I think that might make me somewhat of a bad person. But there's, there's something, I just don't know if I'm, I'm ready for that. I don't know if I want that for my family and my life. My wife, on the other hand, I'm not sure that she shares those same sentiments, probably because she's a much better person than I am. But I, th- I do think that there are elements of this that we just have to be honest and say, I, yeah, I know where this is going. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not taking one of the 874 kids. Like, I, I can't take them into my home. I, you know, and, and I get that. I, I understand that. But this is, what, this is what I do know. 
I've got to do something. Right? right? I, can't, I can't just not do anything. If there's, if, if there's knowledge, if there's understanding, if there's a, a knowing problem that has to do with the very people that we would say it, the purest form of being a Christ follower, you will, you will go after them. We've got to do something. I've got to participate. I've got to have an action of compassion towards them. It's, it's why we have uh, something called our kids here at, at LifeHouse. I think in my own mind, I just kind of have thought of it this way, and it's why I'm, I'm sharing about it today, because I, I recognize that I fell into the trap that maybe many of us fall into, that it's just a ministry of the church. It's just, it's just one of our partners. It's just something that we do. Foster care ministry, is, that's just one of the other things, one of the many things that we do. And there are a lot of really good things that we do around here. This is just Pastor Jeremy's thing. Pastor Jeremy's over uh, all of our uh, partnership ministries, and so this must be something that he's heading up and he's passionate about. And, and here was my conviction was that actually a church shouldn't have a ministry of, of the fatherless. If there is no ministry to the fatherless, the question would be, are we a church at all? Are we a Christ-centered home? Do we want our home to be blessed, whether it be our home home or our church home? Do, do, we, do we want to be called children of God? Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you want to receive mercy? Blessed are the merciful. See, the correlation between these two things is, I'm about to share with you some ways in which we can make a difference. And the challenge, though, that I felt coming into this was if you don't have peace in your home, you're not ready for what I just talked about. It doesn't mean that you have everything figured out or perfect, but, but I certainly would say there may be some things of peacemaking that needs to take place in order for you to actually be Jesus to some other people. That sometimes it requires us to be Jesus to our own family before we could be Jesus to anyone else. Blessed are the peacemakers, first and foremost. We can do something. And I don't mean just think something. We can actually do something. So I want to talk to you about something that uh, is a little controversial uh, actually, it's not really. Um, well, maybe. Here's the thing is, I can, I can share with our church uh, about a lot of things that kind of sting a little bit, right? I could, uh, last week, we talked about uh, Blessed Are the Pure in Heart and social media and stuff that we watch and allowing things into our homes and all this. And, and people will be like, whoa, 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 you know, Quaker. Like, you know, you're, you're being way too... Uh, conservative, legalistic, you know, you need to back off a little bit. And, and, and then, or, or I could talk about things like 
I, I could talk about, you know, sin issues. I can talk about stuff that, like, challenges us. And people are like, man, that hurts or whatever. But nothing ever gets worse feedback or better feedback, in my opinion, than when I start talking about our time. See, I think I could actually probably stand here and talk about giving and our finances and, and, and tithing and all of those things, and I think I would get a better response from our church than if I start talking about time, because we're busy. And honestly, I think that our time has become more valuable than our money. It's easier for us to... Uh, just write a check, isn't it? And listen, by the way, our church is some of the most generous people that I know. I have friends who would be jealous to be in our church. It is the honest truth. So this isn't a, this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a, you know, me you know, beating you up over something. I'm just saying that I think myself included, if, if we were being honest with ourselves, I would rather write a check than for it to take my time. Because my time is valuable. My time is limited. My resources are limited too. But it, we, we look at, at the two and we're like, yeah. And here's the thing is, yes, it may cost us something financially. But if we're being honest, it's probably an easier sacrifice than our time. We can make a difference, but it's going to require some time. I was with, um, as I said earlier, I was with some pastors uh, sitting around a table. I, I, I got invited to this, uh, this training, and uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Uh, there was other pastors there. I thought it was going to be a room of maybe 12, 15, 20 pastors, and ended up being six of us. And we're sitting around uh, a table, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what happened was, is what always happens when pastors get in the same room. They start talking about their churches and the size of their church and different things. And, and, uh, and what I found out pretty quickly was that I was sitting next to pastors who were leading a church of 10,000, a church of 3,000, a church of 6,000, a church of, uh, I don't know, it was kind of a small church, maybe 2,000, I don't know. It, pretty large churches. In our church last week, we were about 500. We'll probably be about the same uh, this week on a, on a given weekend. And, and, uh, and so uh, I found myself sitting there thinking, what in the world am I doing here? Why, why am I here? And, and then the, the guy next to me, uh, he's, he's British. He pastors a, a large church in, in Atlanta. Uh, turns out that he's got, uh, he, he's on the president, some sort of spiritual advisor council, and, and has had the opportunity to bring the gospel to 120,000 Welsh people. And, he, and they're sharing all of these things and all the impact that they have. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is so crazy. I'm like, and, and for a moment, for a moment, this is just me being as, as transparent as I can be. For a moment, I thought to myself, man, it would be nice to have the resource or the ability to, to do that, to make a difference. And it, the irony was that uh, in the process, we were kind of talking about our names, our actual names. 
And uh, my name, uh, I go by my middle name, which is Ryan. My first name is David. And uh, my, my name literally means, uh, David means beloved, and Ryan means little king. And, and so it was like in that moment, it was like God just reminded me, yeah, but you're a little king. And, and the truth is, is I've never wanted, I never wanted the stress and the hassle of, of this massive mega church situation. But in, but in that moment, I thought, well, but man, what, what kind of a difference could you make with that many people and that much resource and all this stuff? And, and God said to me, but you're a little king. And you are making a difference. That if, if you start looking at the, um, just I know we're not talking about missions, but the amount that we give to missions and, and the opportunities that we have with Columbia and the difference that we're making in communities and all of those things, that we're actually probably exponentially doing more. And I would say to you as a church, as Lifehouse Church, we can make a difference when it comes to the fatherless. We can we can do something beyond just write a check. So I, I, uh, I texted Jeremy yesterday and because and I, I said I wanted the link to sign up for the, um, the babysitting collaborative that's taking place this coming Saturday. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it for a second. But as, as he sent me the link, we started going through and I thought, yeah, I'll just do it. We'll babysit for some of the families in our church that, uh, that uh, are fostering children and, uh, and will be a blessing, right? That easy, that's an easy win for me. And uh, so I went to the website and uh, started clicking through it, filling out the form and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, I realized that I got to have a FBI background check, right? And I'm not sure what they're going to find. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I gotta, and and it's, the cost is $40. And then I found out I got to be CPR certified. And that's going to cost me $30. And it'll take place at the, at the event and stuff. But, but it's still, it, it's going to cost me money. And it's going to cost me time. I, I have to go and, and sit through this collaborative from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on a Saturday. And, I, and I, I found myself thinking, I'll just, I'll just kind of do this because that'll make me feel better about myself. And then all of a sudden it started hurting a little bit more and a little bit more. And I realized this is, this is the kind of pain that I actually need because it, it needs to cost us something. Because compassion costs us. Compassion requires something of us. It's more than just the finances. It's our, it's our time. And then as I was clicking through the boxes, it, it, the, one of the questions was, do you intend to babysit for a specific family? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, specific family. But then it came to the next box and it said, do you intend to babysit uh, for other families besides that specific family? And I'm not lying to you when I tell you, my, well, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we don't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. See, it's easy when it's just people in our, in our church family, but now you're saying, I'm going to get calls all the time, and, and I'm going to have to navigate all this. And, and, and all of a sudden, I found myself saying, this is our problem. 
This is our problem. We want to be Christ-centered people. We want to be a people who, who are following hard after God, and yet we are, are so hesitant to rearrange our schedules for him, for the things that are so important to him. It's a challenge, and it's going to be difficult. I want to, I'm just going to allude to this, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Jeremy to come up. But this is a, a card that's in your bulletin. And on it are opportunities for you to do something. And this isn't intended to be a, well, maybe it is a little bit of a guilt bit. Because I certainly feel guilty. But it's a righteous guilt. This isn't a man-made guilt. This is a, a spiritual guilt. This is something that comes from Scripture. This comes from Jesus, right? The picture that I have is, is the disciples trying to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Let him come close. Because he cares. He cares about the kids. And so you, you have a, a way in which you can participate. I'm going to let... Pastor Jeremy talk about all of the different options there, but I, I want to just take note of one thing, and it's it's the family encouragement part, and and um, this kind of this kind of st- struck me uh, a little bit as a kind of a indicative of our culture. I don't mean just our church culture, but our culture in general. Uh, a while back, we talked about our kids, this this foster care uh, part of who our church is, and. We had the opportunity to fill something out and get a database going, and we have all of these people who have signed up and are, who, who want to be in the database, who want to do something, right? And, and, uh, and so we had a family actually in our church who, uh, who had a, a baby, who, who was fostering and then had, a, who is fostering and then had a baby. And, and, uh, and so uh, there was an opportunity for family encouragement, an opportunity for meals. And uh, out of all of the people that said, yeah, I, I want to do something, there was three that, that brought meals. And that's, that's not an indictment upon us. It's not, oh, shame, shame, Lifehouse. This is just, this is to drive home the difference between thinking compassionately about something and actually being compassionate. It's different because it requires something of us. Jeremy, share with us. opportunity just to share a little bit about the ministry for those of you that don't know about it Um, but right before I came up I just feel like God gave me something to share with you and it's this these are words that you've never heard Jesus say and were never uttered by Jesus do you have the time to do this he never said that it was always hey how are you going to make the time to take care of those that I love to take care of the least of these we all know the story in Matthew where he says When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. He says, what you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. And so that's what this ministry is all about, is these children that uh, so desperately need us, and they, they need the church. The church exists for them. I hope we all understand that. The church exists for the least of these. 
We don't exist for ourselves. It's not just a Christian club where we come together and we feel good about what we're doing. We exist for the world. That's why the church started. And so um, I just believe it's not a question of, of whether we should say yes or not to be a part of this, because this is definitely a prophetic thing that God has started at our church, and it's a movement that God has started. He wants us all to be a part of. And the question isn't, are we going to say yes to it? Because I believe that we all say yes, and then after that, it's we are then led by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit on how we're going to be a part of it. Does that make sense? I believe that. And so, you know, it may be on this card you see that there's, there's a prayer team. We're putting together at this time, and we, have some, we already have many people that pray. We're putting together a real legitimate prayer team, intercessors that are just intercessing for these kids and for the families because 50% of foster care families, they quit after one year because it's very difficult. And so we want a team in place that we just know is always praying for them. When the new placement happens, this team's going to be there. There's going to be really contending for these kids and for the lives of these kids and, and for these families, for the, for the foster families that have said yes to do this. Uh, Ryan mentioned the, the family encouragement. We've had a chance now to do a few of the meal trains for different uh, foster families and, and a couple of them. One of them went really well. And as he mentioned the last one, it was like, where is everybody? Um, and we know that it's time. But again, Jesus doesn't say, hey, do you have the time for this? He's not like, hey, if you find the time to take care of the least of these, he says, hey, make the time to do this. And so I believe that, that if we don't have the time for something like this, it's an indication that something's off in our lives. And I know that's bold, but I believe that. I really do, because God has done this in our lives. So about two years ago, God put it on, on Amy and I's heart, my wife and I's heart, to, uh, to, to be involved in foster care ministry in some capacity. And so we just instantly started taking the classes. There's a great organization that our church partners with called 4Kids, a Christian foster care ministry. And we just jumped in and we started taking the classes. Well, something happened that caused us to have to stop our classes to pause. So right now we're paused. We, we really believe we're going to pick it up in the future. Um, but when we said yes at the beginning of that, because we felt it so strongly, we just said, God, we're just open to whatever you want to do and how you want to use us in this. Whether it's taking kids in or, or in whatever way we can support this ministry or support uh, this cause. And so... By saying yes, we open ourselves up. And I'm telling you, one of the most dangerous things you can say to God, but one of the most rewarding, most fulfilling things you can ever say to God is yes. It's dangerous because when you say yes, he brings people in your life. And so instantly he started bringing people. It was like that same month or, or in, within those couple of months, this little girl shows up in, in one of my daughter's classes at school in elementary school. And she showed up, her dad I was in prison, and her mom just passed away. And so she, through kinship foster care, she ended up here in San Antonio with her grandparents. And so she became friends with this, with this girl. And uh, we became really good friends with the grandparents, and have just, we just knew that that was one of the things that we were supposed to do. So we just began to support that family. And uh, in the last two years, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has done a miracle in this little girl's life. Because... The, we, we're a small part of that, but because he will always, always, always ask the church to be a part of restoration in the lives of those that are broken. If he doesn't ask the church, who does he ask? Who's he going to go to? He's not going to go out on the street and just find some random person. No, he's going to ask the ones that are commissioned to do this, and that is us. Just this last weekend, another friend of, of one of our daughters 
uh, was over at our house, and uh, she just was spending time at our house, hanging out with, with our middle. And, uh, and in one of the conversations with her, she began to tell us about how terrible her dad is, who left her and her family, and, and how difficult it's been in her life. There's brokenness all around us. This is a fatherless girl that was in our home. I don't think it's a mistake that she was in our home. I believe from the beginning of time, God ordained for her to end up in our home. Our home is blessed, as Pastor Ryan's been talking about. But our home, they feel something in our home because there's something different there. There's love there that they may have not experienced before. There's compassion. There's mercy. And there's something different. And I believe with all of my heart that we're all supposed to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation that the Bible talks about. And we can all have our part that we play in that. It doesn't mean, and I don't know if Ryan mentioned this or not, but it doesn't mean, we, listen, not everybody should even be a foster. Not everybody should even be parent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. You know what I'm saying? We have three kids. I feel like I shouldn't even be a parent. How could I be a foster parent? But I believe every one of us can be a part of what God is doing. We have right now five families in our church that are either fostering or going through the process at the end of the process. We have a couple that are at the couple families that are at the end of the process. They're going to be taking kids in really soon. We can be there to support them through the babysitting collaborative that's happening next weekend. It's a great opportunity. Uh, this the family encouragement. How great would it be if you were just assigned, if you were on a team assigned to one of these foster families? To say, you know, I'm going to just check in with them all the time. I'm going to see how they're doing. Do they need a meal? Because this is, I know they already have their own kids, and they're taking in more kids. We have family, the Lanzas, Kim, who sings with us on Sunday morning. They've been taking kids in for a long time, and not just easy kids, but very difficult kids. And when I find out about what's going on in their lives, I'm compelled to want to be involved in that and just help in whatever way I can, even if it's just to, to make a meal. Um, and so just to finish off, one of the things that since we're not able to do fostering right now, I mean, I've had the opportunity to babysit for, for some friends of ours who are fostering. What a blessing it is to have this little boy come into our home. And he's blessed our lives, and I hope that we're blessing his life. Um, so we get to do that. Also, the Through Project, we have uh, Carlos Ramos and, and Jeff Cantor. I know Carlos is in here uh, who are doing this. It's mentoring young people that are going to age out. And so that you, you get them when they're about 15, 16 years old, and then you get to mentor them as they're aging out. Because so often when they age out, they go, they, they just, they don't know what to do. They, they go back into destructive lifestyles. And so that's a great opportunity. So that's one thing that I signed up for just because I know that I can't do the fostering right now. So I've signed up to help with that. It's something that you guys can be a part of. If you check that, we'll let you know. We'll give you all the information. CASA is a great organization. Two members of our church have been involved in that. And it's court-appointed special advocate. You get to advocate for these kids in the court system. And it's a really great role. Um, and then there's, listen, don't want to at all minimize the actual fostering. When Jennifer was here for South Texas Alliance for Orphans, she said, I, I, she looked around the room, she said, I know you guys have room for this in many of your houses. Um, so if it's something that God would put on your heart, put it on here and we'll get in touch with you. We have a great team that, we're, that we've been putting together. I have uh, Christy Ford who's doing all of the administration for this ministry and Kim Lanza just recently agreed to come on as the main a support for the foster families and that team is growing we're putting together a full team that's just going to continue to allow God to take this ministry and this and this uh, just to advance the kingdom of God for this so that's what this is all about um, 
please, if you, so I don't think, we haven't done the offering yet. Okay, so you're going to do it. So if you, if you already know what you're interested in, check it and put it in the basket. If not, take this home, put it on your fridge with a magnet and pray about it this week and say, God, what part do you want our family to play in this? Amen. So let me just, can I pray? Can I pray for the, for the ministry? God, I just lift up this card to you right now as a representation of this ministry that you've begun at our church, a ministry that is so near and dear to your heart and that you care about so deeply. And I just pray, Lord, as a church, that we would see this as a church thing, that we would see this as something that we all get to be a part of and that we would allow you to speak to us as to how we can be a part of this. And I just pray, God, that we would we would pray the prayers that, that feel a little unsafe of God. We're open to whichever aspect of, of this ministry that you want us to be a part of. And I just pray, Father, that as a result of this ministry, that hundreds, if not thousands of, of young people in the foster care system would be impacted and touched for the kingdom of God and for your glory, God. We just declare that in Jesus' name. And I pray for every person in this room that you would just guide them and direct them in this process. In Jesus' name. Amen.